Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I switch things up and talk about the upper body, specifically neck and shoulder issues. Upper body issues make up a large portion of the visits that we see in clinic, and the same simple, actionable, education-based approach that we apply to feet and hips can just as easily be applied to target the root cause of these upper body issues. We talk about problems at the neck and the shoulder, how they come about, how they're currently treated, how we view treatment, and the simple things you can do to resolve and prevent issues at the shoulder and the neck. This episode is sponsored by TFC Digital Education. Earlier this year, we filmed both our 2019 seminar and workshop 1.0 in order to make them available online so people around the world can take in this information we deliver in person at our education sessions. We made them as affordable as possible with the six-hour seminar priced at $60 and the two-hour workshop at $20, and we plan to reinvest all the profits into filming our new two-day seminar next year in May 2020, as well as an updated workshop 1.0. To check out those online products, head to thefootcollective.podia.com and you can view the intro videos or purchase those digital products online. This episode is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC HQ are big fans of coffee and this Canadian company provides a unique, unique subscription service that delivers you three great coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind the craft roasters that they come from. Check out theroasterspack.com and use the code FOOT at checkout for 7 bucks off your first month of any subscription. They start at 27 bucks a month, all in, including shipping and taxes, which works out to about a dollar per cup and delivers some great value. So use the code FOOT at checkout and you'll get 7 bucks off your first month. Last but not least, this episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from our seminars and workshops. They make super high-quality cases in Canada, and they keep your electronics safe during travel. You can check out their cases at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today we're going to switch things up a little bit. We're going to cover shoulder and neck issues. Uh, so we'll switch things up and cover, talk about the upper body instead of always talking about the lower body. I'm not sure if most people realize, but uh, Mike and I are registered physical therapists in Canada. Um, and we treat the entire body and have taken a special interest in feet and hips because it's such a big problem that we see commonly. But the same principles apply you know, in terms of teaching simple, actionable behavior changes, the same things apply to the upper body. And the upper body is really an area that in the clinic, we see a huge amount of problems. And and it's the same thing. A lot of these problems are preventable. So what we're going to talk about today is more superficial, superficial, simple concepts around the neck and the shoulder. This is we're not going to delve into the scientific research. Um, This isn't one where you can know exactly what you need to do in terms of treating your own neck and shoulder problems. But these general things to just Help people have simple education on just how to avoid these things because they are preventable. We shouldn't be seeing them as commonly. So we're going to talk about it just in a general sense today and hopefully it gives you a good idea of how you can prevent issues in those areas and also start to work on your own body in terms of just basic things you can do day to day or basic behaviors you can change to make sure that you don't run into this stuff or to make sure that you're able to start to kind of work your way out of those problems. So I think think probably a good place to start is the shoulder. So let's just Mm -hmm. talk about like, shoulder pain. What is shoulder pain? Why the heck are so many people having shoulder pain? Um, and, and yeah, let's start there because I think in, you know, pain in the shoulder is a very general broad term, right? Like it can be 
my shoulder hurts in this location, this lo like multiple locations and, and shoulder pain is such a big umbrella that it can mean many different things to many different people. Um, but what is the most common presentation of shoulder pain that you see on day to day? Yeah, I would typically see like a, an impingement pattern of, uh, of some sort. So the impingement is basically, you could call it just pain with movement mm -hmm. to simplify it. So when I go to reach over here, I get pain or I can't go into these positions anymore because it's painful. Gotcha. So a lot of times what happens with the shoulder, um, is that pain prevents movement or it causes that fear of movement or, or just kind of like that, that pain avoidance behavior. So what I see accompanying painful shoulders is stiff shoulders, right? And it's kind of like chicken or the egg. Did, did a stiff shoulder contribute to you getting painful shoulder or did a painful shoulder create a stiff shoulder? Create a stiff shoulder. It's usually both, yeah. but usually it's this pain with movement associated with shoulder pain that I see. And it can be there's various cause, there's various types of it. There's acute pain. There's 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 injuries too. There's people yeah. who who play sports and, and tear a rotator cuff. The, yeah. the people who Shoulder fall on dislocation. it, dislocations. There's all different types. But the thing I see a lot is just these more chronic cases where it's like I've had a nagging shoulder issue that's gradually getting worse. It's starting to prevent me from doing this activity and this activity, so it's cutting down my activities. These are very common themes that come up. Yeah, and this whole fear avoidance thing, like you said, sometimes chicken or the egg, but I think people perceive the signal of pain in the wrong way, right? If it hurts somewhere, to, if it, if you reach for something or it hurts to put your arm in a certain direction, you get shoulder pain. I think people interpret that as, oh, I'm doing physical harm by doing that. I need to avoid that. And their circle, the, the amount of mobility that they have available to them essentially shrinks more and more and more to the point where the extreme of that is like a frozen shoulder, which we'll talk about a bit later. But the other thing I want to talk about is we're going to talk about more of the chronic uh, long-term shoulder pain that's been there for a while. Not so much the acute stuff like shoulder dislocations, but they are, there is a relation there because mm -hmm. your likelihood of getting an acute shoulder injury is significantly higher if you have this underlying imbalance, right? If your shoulder can't move, then if your shoulder gets forced into a position, you didn't want it to go go into whether it's from a contact sport or basketball or tennis or whatever you have less range you have less of a safety buffer so your likelihood of acute injury goes up if you have a shoulder that just doesn't move like a shoulder supposed to so even though they're different they are kind of related and we're going to focus more on the long-term kind of uh, chronically stiff uh, uncomfortable shoulder and and i really think you know when when you treat someone's shoulder in the clinic it's the same thing as how we treat hips and feet. It's number one, you have to make sure the person understands why the shoulder has become problematic, mm -hmm. right? Everyone's so caught up in, and Paul made a, um, Paul made a good post the other day, that quote from Katie Bowman, instead of saying, how do I fix this problem? Say, how, what am I doing to create this problem? Because this is this big thing that a lot of people aren't talking about. And it seems like in the rehab and medical community, we're so fixated on get people out of pain. We literally miss out on the whole reason they're in pain. And that's why they never get out of pain long-term. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like big root causes, so someone's shoulder hurts, whether that's, um, you know, the rotator cuff, they have a rotator cuff impingement. So they have this like, you know, a popular thing that I used to, that I would hear often is, oh, it hurts when I sleep. Yeah. And that's right? an interesting one. actually. Or it hurts when I reach. <laughs> that is a very interesting one. And, what I'm looking at is that a lot of people, so sleeping on your, sleeping requires you to be on your shoulder in different positions. Yeah. In so most it's cases. one of the things I'm using actually with patients these days is simulating sleeping positions on the ground, on the hard hmm. floor. And it naturally will mobilize. Like you, if you look at That's like the classic sleeper stretch or different stretches for the shoulder, 
it's basically you sleeping on your shoulder. And before we had these cushy mattresses and stuff like that, we would sleep on on the ground and that would naturally. And if you look at other primates, they actually use their arm as their pillow in different positions throughout Hmm. the night. So their head rests on their arm overhead to the side and all of that. So you can simulate that and almost like caps use it, use it as a capsular stretch. So they're kind of stretching out their shoulder. You know, the, the big thing you don't want to do is is cause run into their impingement too much when you're doing that. But it's something that works uh, for a subset of patients. And it's it's an interesting concept. Because yeah. like you said, pain when sleeping is one of the biggest things that I'll hear as, as a primary complaint. And it'll start to affect, um, you'll wake them up at night. It'll start to affect sleep and all that too. Yeah, and that just gets the snowball going, right? If you're not sleeping, you're adding an extra big time stressor. And just the fact that you're not able to sleep literally will make your shoulder pain worse. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think sleep is kind of twofold. Um, you know, number one, you're not really doing anything else. You're not moving. You're not activating receptors anywhere else. So I think when you're sleeping or trying to fall asleep is a time where your body can really fixate on wherever the problems are, right? You hear that commonly, oh, my, my hip or my back really hurts when I sleep. It's because, yeah, your body is, that's the only signal your body has to give you because you're not really doing anything else. But I think with the shoulder, the bigger factor is you're probably putting your shoulder in way different positions than you're used to during the day when you're sleeping. And so that's a contributor. And I never even thought of that, but that's a very good way to help people be able to sleep is just literally put them in sleeping positions mm-hmm. and mobilize the shoulder so it doesn't get threat signals when you get into that position that night. Exactly. Very cool. So I think one of the biggest things, like this big elephant in the room in terms of shoulder pain, and for some reason, you know, the the term posture or the concept of posture has, people are seem to be second guessing whether posture is relevant or not, but I think people are missing the point that posture just means position. And mm-hmm. if you're putting your body in this very... Um, static and imbalanced position. You know, the classic computer posture, you, you, you can even picture it, right? Some person is stooped over a keyboard, their shoulders are rotated inward, their scaps are protracted, which means the shoulders are coming forward in space, their neck, their chin is poking out. Um, you know, that position, if you adopt that for many hours, every day, all day, and it's not just at a computer. It's also like when you're driving, you're oftentimes leaning forward or bringing your shoulder forward. Um, if you're writing, if you're at a computer, if you're cooking, if you're eating, like people seem to just gravitate towards this one position where their upper back is hugely rounded. And that's where you end up seeing people later in life literally looking like Quasimodo because they've just been there. And they often are holding tension in these positions. So mm-hmm. it's the combination of things. And one of the aha moments for me was at Charlie Weingroff's course when he he linked basically stress also to how tissue becomes develops trigger points and there's many there's many uh, papers that he that he showed and he basically if you're stressed in a position you're going to you're going to almost stiffen up in that position you're going to be holding tension in that hmm. position so i think the combination of people being stressed in specific positions is big but even just holding tension in positions and if you look at like people's work setup and their desk environment Oftentimes they're like they're actually holding a position there for a long periods of time. Yeah. So that's them like physically using muscles to keep a position all day. And then no wonder that position becomes very like stiff because you're using it a lot. Um and add to the fact that most people's work is a unfortunately work which is something we do uh, people have to make money, have to get resources somehow so that they can pay for their life, right? To pay their rent or pay their mortgage or whatever. And so you have to do it. And the fact that for most people work, what they do for work is a major stressor in their life is so is it sucks, right? Because mm-hmm. like you said, not only are you putting yourself in this strange, awkward position where you're everything's kind of rolled forward, but having stress in that position, like trying to do some report and being under the gun by your manager to do that report 
pumping cortisol through your body, being under the gun, being stressed, and locking into that position, it's no wonder people get stuck there. Yeah, or just chronic stress from other sources as well, yeah. combining with that. And that, that leads into the breathing, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I think that the thing you need to do is look at when you're in one position like that, you're not in other many other positions. Yeah. And I think a lot of the studies are kind of, they're showing that does posture really matter? All this stuff. Well, it's like you need to be able to explore different positions that you want to maintain over time. If you want to get your shoulder, be able to reach overhead when you're 80, you should be reaching overhead on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. If you want to so do simple. this and that, like, and I would, I would argue that there's different things that really test the capacity of the shoulder, um, carrying, throwing, there's different things that you can do, but it's like, Hey, if you want to throw a baseball with your kids when, when you're in your forties or fifties, you should probably maintain the ability, the mobility and ability to do that. So that is opposite of it's outside of the realm of being in that one position. Yeah. So people almost just don't explore and it comes back to anything. It's like if you're not exploring different positions in your hip, your hips are going to not be able to accommodate those positions over time. But the same goes for that upper back, shoulder complex, scapular complex, that cool kind of whole upper body posture that we see. And we're not the posture police. It's just a matter of like, you can't ignore the fact that if you spend multiple hours in a position, it's going to, you're going to, you're going to, uh, there's going to be some consequences there. Yeah. Um, and then if you explore other positions, the consequences are now positive. You're going to maintain those positions over time. Yeah. And like, it really is so simple. It's like people say, oh, it's not that simple. Yeah, it is. If you don't go into positions ever, then your body, when you go into those positions that you maybe have almost rarely, like almost never get into, your body can acknowledge them as a threat because it's unfamiliar, right? Maybe you don't have the mobility. You don't have the mobility because your body's like, uh-uh, I don't trust you to go there. You've never gone there. That could be dangerous. I'm not going to let you go there. Right. Or physical like capsular stiffness in the shoulder too. It's like yeah. a lot of people are missing these rotational ranges of motion. And I think that's the one of the biggest things is rotation shows up in all of these positions of the shoulder from throwing to even just reaching overhead. And when you're lacking that rotation because you don't explore it in all these different positions, it's going to really cut your range of motion down over time. And that's a big factor that will play into these like impingement is mechanical. Something is like it, there's a psychosocial part to pain. There's a fear avoidance part to pain, but there's a mechanical, there's a very robust mechanical part yeah. of shoulder pain. It's like all the studies will show on impingement that your, your basically your, your glenohumeral joint is getting impinged upon. Something in there is getting impinged upon, whether it's your sub, uh, or sorry, your supraspinatus, bicep tendon, bursa, bursa, something's getting like physically pinched, impinged, pinched, rubbed, Mm-hmm. frictioned mm-hmm. so there's something mechanical in there so it's like why is that happening right why didn't you have shoulder impingement before and why do you have it now yeah what's going on is it is it based on how you're moving is it based on your level of mobility and and the, the degrees of freedom in that shoulder because internal like we spend so much time in internal rotation this kind of collapsed uh internally rotated position if you never explore external rotation <laughs> you lose the ability to externally rotate your shoulder and the fact is that external rotation is what's required to generate a stable shoulder position. It's what winds up the shoulder capsule to generate the stability of your ball and socket joint so that the muscles can mm-hmm. do the work of moving the joint in a stable position. If you don't even have access to external rotation, how are you going to generate a stable, safe shoulder position where the muscles can work like they're supposed to and where the joint doesn't pinch and ram into your basically your shoulder blade? Um, and I saw a post the other day. I think it was from the, the movement maestro. 
they um that the lat is like the glute of the upper movement (laughs) the lat is the glute of the upper body so a lot of times we have problems with this this packing effect where they have trouble kind of putting that that shoulder mid socket when they're doing things and a lot of it is that external rotation that you just talked about and a lot of it is also that lat so it's classic like you know bent power lifters know this all too well break the bar Mm -hmm. right they need to bend the bar break the bar and what are they doing they're externally rotating and they're packing their shoulder back in the socket and that's creating a stable shoulder and they're trying to maintain stability throughout the range if they if they lose stability they're often going to lose the lift or tear a pec or do something like that yeah so that applies to other stuff it applies to pushing stuff outside of the gym it applies to pulling stuff outside of the gym can you harness that lat can you pack that shoulder back and a lot of it comes back to like that arm dominance that distal dominance versus proximal dominance a lot of people just forget how to to pull things or push things they use their arm for a lot of stuff and they don't know how to really use that body that scapula a lat to really kind of pull from the body as opposed to the arm yeah and i think one term that comes up a lot and and that we'll try and define for uh with patients is centration Right. And so like when someone when you talk about centration or centering the joint, like exp- give your Coles notes on what centration even means. And that applies to ball and sockets. So that applies to your hips and your shoulder. But especially with the shoulder, it's a big problem because if you spend all day in this kind of forward position, that ball starts to come out of the socket. So what do you how do you describe centration to patients? Well, I describe it to what I would describe it as, not to patients, but just in general, is when you have an ideal balance of mobilizers and stabilizers acting on a joint. So basically, the joint has the ability to work like a joint mm-hmm. because it's in a position that can work efficiently. So we got to look at, like, where is the joint in space and then what muscles have access to it. And we don't want to look at, like, oh, does this muscle not firing or is that muscle not firing? It's more global function. But a lot of it is just, like, these aha moments. And a lot of times people can clear impingements even just through positioning themselves a little bit different and going through reaching patterns, things like that. Yeah. But we can also teach centration if we put people in positions like on the ground and start loading their shoulders up that way. Mm-hmm. We can teach them through carrying and stuff like that. Hanging. Hanging. So it forces you to get into these positions where you're a bit more packed. And you're centrally. using load to, to essentially load is the tool you're using to create a centered position, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're carrying two heavy ass weights, Right? If you're carrying 75% of your body weight between two hands, you don't have the luxury of carrying that in a shitty position. You are for, Your body is literally forced to obtain and work its way into this stable shoulder position so that you can actually carry the load. Exactly. Right. When someone carries, for example, someone in Africa walks to a well and carries like 20 pounds worth of water on their head, they can't do that with their chin poking out five miles because their neck will snap in half. They have to do it in this nice plumb alignment because that's the most stable position. This is the most stable position. And it doesn't re- and it doesn't require as much effort. That's the other thing too. When you carry two heavy weights and you start to get out of good po- position or a good alignment, the weights become way heavier because you're all of a sudden way less efficient at carrying that load. And so, exactly. you know, just finding it's kind of like on the beam. You automatically find the most efficient aligned position based on the ease of doing that movement or, or ease of balancing on the beam and you can't say that that's a, to your point there you can't say that posture or position doesn't matter yeah <laughs> as soon as i hand people two 50 pound kettlebells they change position yeah like it's zapped right. into alignment they, they're like "Ooh, we better change <laughs> position here it feels yeah. better why it feels better to be there we're in a more efficient position and we're training there so now we're yeah. carrying stuff there and we're learning what it feels like to be in a position that's more favorable than the other position that they were in. Yeah. And that's for the, the task of carrying, but that can be applied to other movements and other 
um, and other things too. So it's like, do, do you know where that that position is where you're where you're feeling? And again, I I think we're going pretty deep down that kind of the the mechanic side of things, but it's important to note that a lot of times um, it, it it can be simplified in terms of just adding these external loads or external yeah. situations that teach people and being responsible with load. People are always like, oh, I don't know how much weight to use or or what if this hurts? It's like, okay, let's just take it slow. Start with a light load, see how it feels. I think almost everyone can do you know hold two lightweights or even just one, like a suitcase carry on one side, you're going to have to pick up and carry shit at some point. So you may as well train some robustness into that movement. And I think one of the big reasons I love kettlebells, especially for patients, is like, just start with a light kettlebell. Mm -hmm. You start with a light one. You work on carries. You can work on like a front rack carry, overhead carry once you're ready for it. You can flip it upside down, put it bottoms up and like double how challenging that is. And then when that gets easy, you just buy a slightly heavier kettlebell. And before you know it, you have this scaled array of light all the way up to heavy kettlebells that you purchase as you build competency right mm-hmm. it's like that story of i don't even know what the guy's name was but he would um it was like this old greek uh myth where the the guy wanted to get strong so he bought a, a calf like a baby cow and he would put it on his back and lift it and carry it and as the cow got bigger he also got stronger and so it was like this gradual increase in load. And the myth exactly. is that eventually you could carry a full-blown cow because you just built up that strength. But kettlebells provide... Progressive a, overload. Progressive overload. And it's a simple, cheap tool that is extremely powerful. And the fact that it's so simple actually makes it... That's what makes it so powerful is because you have unlimited variety with what you want to do with it. You can throw it, swing it, carry it, put it overhead, whatever. Um, so le- like the big elements. So you know, if you're talking to a 10-year-old... 10-year-olds probably don't have as bad shoulder impingement, although they do sit all day as well. Um, but say say you're trying to tell someone in a very simple way, what are the biggest contributors to why people get shoulder pain? And so we already talked about one, like just lack of movement, lack of exploring positions. They're not throwing, they're not crawling, they're not putting their shoulder into this big variety of positions that we should be allowed to explore, that we have the baseline software and, and, and hardware to explore, but we just don't explore it. I think another one is just people's upper backs get insanely tight. And that's really related to that it's first huge. thing. But I think that's a big thing is like the, one of the first things you go after is T-spine. T-spine. T-spine extension, T-spine rotation. So T-spine is the area of your spine that basically is sandwiched between your neck, which is your C-spine, and then your low back, which is your lumbar spine. So your T-spine is like this in-between area. It's like the area basically between your shoulder blades. And when that gets stiff, when we get stuck into this position where we kind of hunch forward right like this quasimodo style that's the extreme end of the continuum but this quasimodo style posture where your shoulder blades have no choice but to be pushed forward because your upper back can't get straight and your upper back and if you look at the upper back the the rib cage basically attaches to that that thoracic spine yeah so your upper back and rib cage are very related and then those shoulder blades sit on that rib cage and upper back mm-hmm. so your shoulder blades house the the sockets of the shoulder so socket orientation matters a lot. Yeah. So that's, it's almost like the pelvic orientation of the lower body. Yeah. So, so that's really just getting at people's T-spines, making sure that they're, they're moving well and starting to add some motion back in them through some thoracic mobility drills and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then it's also related to looking at the environment and saying, can we, can we address these things? Can we get them a stand-up desk for part of their day? Mm-hmm. Um, can we do things that that cause them to be less in these positions that are that are contributing to this stiffness developing over time. Yeah, and I think it just starts with awareness, right? Like ed- the education piece, it's this weird thing that we get into in the health professionals where we're like, yeah, we can fix you, right? Come to me, I'll fix you. It's like, no, that person needs to fix themselves because the the 
you know, the one hour you see them per week or even two times a week, whatever it is, is not going to solve the problems. It's them having a basic understanding of all the other hours in the day that are non-sleep mm-hmm. hours and non-rehab hours that they're in the clinic. Those are the hours that get them better, right? They just, I think it just starts with some positional awareness because a lot of people think, oh, I work at a computer, so I, I have shitty posture or I get into bad positions. It's like, well, it doesn't have to be that way. You have to, it takes work, right? If you're sitting in a chair or if you're working at something in front of you, it takes work to be aware of how do I orient my body in a way that doesn't put me in this really sketchy yeah. quasimodo position. And it's just awareness, right? Like don't just orient and, and engineer your environment so that you, it's literally hard to get into shitty positions. And it's like, how do you, a lot of it is like, how do you carry yourself? How do you hold yourself? Yeah. And that's based on other things too. But that once I, once you realize you're like, oh, look how I'm actually positioning. <laughs> like you can actually, and we're not saying squeeze your shoulder blades at all time. That's not, that's not good. You just want to like hold yourself how yeah. you want to hold yourself and just fall into a better position. And I think a big thing with posture too, is people just assume, you know, <laughs> classic when you're like okay i want you to stand up and we're going to check out how what your position is like what your posture is like people immediately go into this like soldier position where they squeeze their shoulder blades back and i always tell people like okay i know you're doing that to make it seem like you have better posture but that's not sustainable right like because your upper back stiffness and your pec tension your pec minor tension these are all things that are pulling you into the position you spend the most time into so fighting against them to try and pretend like you have better alignment is not sustainable you have to literally get rid of the hardware restrictions that are pushing you there because eventually you can squeeze as much as you want but eventually you're gonna go oh that was tiring you're gonna revert back to that Mm. kind of crappy positioning so you know i think that's where working with someone that's can help you understand where to troubleshoot is just knowing, okay, this is the component that's limiting you most. We got to open. Here's a daily kind of T spine maintenance routine that takes you two, three minutes a day that will help to get rid of those restrictions. So it's literally easier to get into this alignment position, but you still have to be conscious of making sure you're 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 going there, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're that you have to be aware of how you're carrying yourself. And I think the term posture has just been overused and kind of lost its meaning, but position you know kelly strat says that posture is really just means position and thinking of how you're positioning your machine with the knowledge that however you position yourself most often is the position your body is going to want to gravitate towards so make it a good one and you need to just explore it like when you get tired of one position choose another one yeah move to the next have options that's the big thing um you want to talk about frozen shoulder for a minute yep because that's an interesting one i've seen this now there's there's this frozen shoulder. It's it's very confusing. If again, we're not going to get into the research side of things because you'll hear different things. Um, like, is it a true frozen shoulder? Um, there's all these risk factors for frozen shoulder that the list to and factors associated with it. But what I see a lot is these like we can call them frozen shoulders or just like stiff shoulders. Stiff shoulder. That's a way better term. People. It's like this alarm bell goes off. It's like saying, oh, you have moderate. <laughs> Uh, osteoarthritic degeneration in your mm-hmm. joint. It's like, yeah, your joint's irritated because you're not moving it well. It's like, instead of saying you have a crazy frozen shoulder where people are like, oh my God, my shoulder's frozen, it's broken. It's like, you have a stiff shoulder. Now, that being said, it is a kind of like a, it, it is a, is a weird thing that develops. So what I often see, there's a, there's a huge kind of like psychological factor in it too and a, and a pain factor and a fear avoidance factor. So I always you know, I don't tell this to people, but you, you'll see people who, who have this like invisible sling on. Yeah. And, and it's like they're, and these are typically the people who I'll see with these kind of pseudo frozen shoulders, stiff shoulders, frozen shoulders, whatever you want to call it, but they'll be holding 
their shoulder by their side and they won't even know it. And you'll be like, look at like, you'll touch their shoulder and it won't, they won't let you move it. So there's this very, there's this very kind of like hesitation to hesitation to move um, because of often due to what happened on the, on the previous uh, beforehand, like in terms of like the pain that they were getting limited their movement. And I saw kind of a, a, an acute example, well, not an acute, but the starting phases of this recently, this guy came in on Monday and he was, he had a fall in the summer and his shoulder hurt. He went in, they uh, did imaging on it and there was no tear. So they probably just strained his rotator cuff. Mm-hmm. But every time he went to move and do things for the first like two, three weeks, it was pain, pain, pain. So he started using his other arm and he stopped using that arm. And that just continued because every time he'd go to try to use it again, he would get pain. So he'd stop using it. So this so is kind of classically what, what happens. Move. Yeah. And so, so he now six months later comes to me and we check his range out and he's got, you know, 90 degrees of flexion, 90 degrees of abduction, like 10 degrees of external rotation. So he's got like half of what the other side can do basically. Yeah, so he's just stuck. So he's stuck. And why did he become stuck? Well, he didn't use it because it was painful when he used it. So he stopped using it over time. And now he's like, what do I do to get it back? He's like, I can't use this side anymore. So he's kind of stuck in this in this uh, situation. So my big thing is just, we're just trying to get mobility back. Thing is, it, it gets tricky with these frozen shoulders because when they, it's that chicken or the egg. So once they get really, really stiff, then you go to get out of that range of motion and often you get that impingement. So mm-hmm. the mobility is not allowing you to actually explore these outer ranges that are required to get that mobility back. So people will, will just further not want to go into that anymore. And then, you know, it's this classic scenario. Sometimes it takes people years to get through this. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that where people are extremely fearful of, of movement and they'll just kind of hold that shoulder by their side over time. And I think if and then re- it becomes it like it starts as like a learned, but then it becomes physi- physiological and physical because yeah. their shoulder physically stiffens and their capsule stiffens and the muscles around it stiffen. So then it becomes like structural. It's start, what started out as like a as that becomes a structural thing. And then you got to deal with the the structural part of it. And I think you just, you have to recontextualize pain. You have to make sure the person understands, okay, I I don't want you to be in pain, but sometimes when you go to the limit of your mobility, that pain is, we have to decide whether that's a bad pain or a pain that we can use as a signal to kind of slowly start to work into. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that I found was with the shoulder that was really stiff is, okay, say they get pain at a certain point, go slightly less than that so that they're, close to the limit of the range but they're not necessarily getting pain and then do something to you know either exert compression or traction Mm -hmm. right do something to fire the cuff and force them to put their shoulder in a good position basically show the brain this is a safe position the shoulder's stable it's being centered in the socket and then it's almost like you're slowly selling your brain on the fact that it should be allowed it should allow you to move a little bit more Mm -hmm. and i think you know one of the things that i really really liked was doing um um, kettlebell, like where they're holding, they're on their back, they're on the ground. So they're in a safe position. They're holding a kettlebell, which is pushing the shoulder to the back of the socket. And then doing these kind of like slow controlled rotations, or that can be under traction, right? They're holding a ring, they're pulling back, uh, their body weight set. There's some traction on there and they're just doing rotation. They're just, you just have to regain your brain's trust. But like you said, it is tricky because that person, if they've been like that for a year, there's literally their shoulder capsule is going to shrink wrap. So there are structural mm-hmm. things that you have to really get in there and mobilize. And that person has to know what is a safe way to mobilize my shoulder? That might be a bit uncomfortable, right? There, there is discomfort and there is hard work associated with getting mobility back of a joint that essentially has just locked up completely. 
but it's that fine tuning is that's where the art is it's like okay we need to push a bit but i don't want to push so much that we become not very good friends and you're always in pain so it's like where does that fine medium lie and it's dynamic because that from week to week or month to month that changes and and it i think that it catching them early is key because then it doesn't go down that rabbit hole to like the structural changes um i've i've seen it like some crazy examples of that where people come in and have very very limited range of motion because it it's almost like an event that just happened so you'll see like they'll show you how much they can move and it's like you know 20 percent of their full range and Mm -hmm. then but you'll get at it and you'll start to like you say do these things to promote more range and and get them to to break this the cycle of guarding um and get them to explore and break some of that fear associated with movement and you'll get like most of that range back if it's an or if it's early on in the cycle yeah so that's that's one thing And, and it's but you see, if that same person didn't go down that route, it would be the the you know two three year process where they're struggling with this really stiff shoulder that they can't use over time. So and it's, it's just almost, an interesting one. It's almost like sometimes the label of frozen shoulder, when that gets put on a shoulder joint, right? Because let's be real, when someone goes in with a shoulder that doesn't move, they're all of a sudden a frozen shoulder. They're not even a human anymore. Sometimes in the medical system, mm-hmm. so it's like, oh, you got frozen shoulder. Yeah, it's it might take a couple of years to get that back, but they're given no guidance. From and, and, you know, it's not the physician's fault because the physician is not there to deal with frozen shoulder. They're there to diagnose what the problem is and direct the appropriate person that can help them. And, you know, getting a frozen shoulder to go to a physio clinic, you know, getting a person with frozen shoulder to go to a clinic where they're going to c- help to control the pain. They're going to do very, very small, you know... The sad reality is it's in the benefit of that clinic to have that person there for long periods of time in terms of how many mm-hmm. visits. So... You know, if you're not pushing and you're not contextualizing the discomfort, it can take a long time for these people to even, you know, they don't even understand they need to push through some discomfort sometimes. And they need, and they're also not, it's not reinforced that if your shoulder doesn't move, this is not a good thing. And you should probably be trying to work on this every single hour for five minutes. You should be mobilizing and moving your shoulder, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm sure you've had these patients. I've had a few of them where they're just, they're like, I want to get better. My whole life right now revolve, and it's often the athletes that had an acute injury. Um, like for example, I had a, uh, a guy when I worked at Western, he was on the softball team, dislocated his shoulder and he was a pitcher and he's like, I need to get back to pitching. This is not a, a, a choice. I, I want to be able to play baseball or um, softball for a long time. And he was just obsessed. And the, <laughs> the speed at which he recovered compared to the average person, I was like amazed. He did everything I asked him to do. In fact, the biggest thing I had to do was make sure he wasn't doing too much. Mm-hmm. And those people, like, you see the true potential of how the body adapts when you get someone that is so obsessed with getting better that that is what their life revolves around, right? They don't, their focus isn't, oh, I need to work. And, and it, like, they're like, I need to get better because it lets me do all the other shit without having problems. And people that just are are just in it, they've bought in and they're like, tell me what I need to do. I will do everything you ask me to do. You see results so quickly. It's crazy. Well, here's a thought experiment. If If somebody was living thousands of years ago and had a very physical laborious job and injured their shoulder and became very stiff but they needed to do stuff so they needed to carry stuff overhead they needed to carry stuff by their side i think that just by like you say moving into these positions that you desire to attain again mm-hmm. and strengthening it a minimum and being like i want to i need to do this thing so this physical like movement that i want to express i need to go there and i think that it's a matter of like over time you would redevelop these things. It's the same thing with with the the dog ACL tear. Uh, when Memphis tore his ACL, yeah, the dog would 
start to run and, and be stopped by pain. But then it, it like basically in his mind's like, I want to run again. So <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to exactly. listen to my pain, but I'm going to start gradually running. And then next thing you know, he's running again. So it's one of those things that treat having that mindset with, with the shoulder is the same thing. And just kind of like looking at what do we need to be able to do with it? Let's start working on getting it going in that direction. And, and we can do these things that are more robust, like, like loading it up with actual load, as opposed to these like little exercises that don't actually, you know, change tissue or, or don't actually get you exploring these, uh, these limits. Yeah. And I would put money on the fact that 10,000 years ago, no one's getting frozen shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> no one's letting it get to that point because it's not an option to not use the shoulder, right? When you have to hunt and, and carry things and move things like, yeah, some people probably got shoulder pain, but it probably didn't last very long because they were applying the appropriate stimulus so that their body constantly changed and adapted and healed. It's like Memphis. No one told him he had an ACL tear. He didn't know there was a problem there apart from the fact that he would push himself a little bit too much and he would get a little bit of pain. And he would wince and he'd probably be a little bit hesitant. But then you throw a ball. He forgets about the fact that his knee hurts. He runs. And then mysteriously one day, like it was hilarious with him, with him because he, first time he bugged up his knee, he would do stairs and it would really hurt. And so every time he would do stairs very gingerly and slowly and whine and all this kind of stuff. And then one day I distracted him. I think it was with a treat or maybe even a ball. And he darts upstairs like nothing happened. And I look, and he wasn't, he, he didn't even think about it. Right, he was just distracted. He did stairs, and from then on, he never had pain with stairs. That's so it wasn't actually. It was the thought of potentially having pain because at one point stairs did hurt him. Right when he was loading his leg and on an upward surface, and then he just forgot about it. And it was, it was. You're right. That's a very good analogy because if we just took that approach, where okay, you have an injury, you use pain as a guide, but you're constantly pushing, you're constantly approaching your limits, so that when you see that pain, it's a reminder. Okay, that's my limit. Mm-hmm. And if you're constantly trying to move forward if you're constantly pushing yourself or trying to use that body part eventually that limit that ceiling where you get pain disappears right it's just a matter but you got to use it in order for it to get back to being able to be used and that's the biggest thing where we go in the opposite direction we're like oh this hurts i need to not do that oh now it hurts even sooner oh i need to go i need to do even less of that and before you know it you have a shoulder that doesn't move and so just knowing you know obviously you have to rule out if you have an acute injury you got to rule out that your shoulder's not fractured but if it's not you need to just use the damn shoulder. I have a another like small example of that is like I me- I remember when um I I got this huge gash on my elbow and I needed a bunch of stitches. Yeah, I remember that. It was stiff. So it, I I was stitched up and then I actually wasn't moving it for a while. So right over my electron, like right at the tip of the elbow, and there was like five stitches or whatever. So I ended up with like missing 10 15 degrees of range in there. So I wanted to start working out again. So I was like, how do I what do I do about this? So I just went to the, like, for me, it was like, well, let's just get it moving. This is before I got into physio school. And it was just, all I would do is go to the tricep push down, uh, like rope. And I would just essentially try to ram through, through, ram through it. It probably sucked, right? It probably was uncomfortable. I was like, but I was like, in my mind, I was like, well, I just need to get it moving. So, (laughs) so I just go and I just, I, I just like, you know, suck it up and ram through it. And it probably, you know, I probably could have done it in a more smart way, but but you know, it worked over time yeah. and it's just like, oh, it started moving more and more and more. And then I restored full range where I could lock the tricep out. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. And that's what happens. The body's um, robust. We just have to have faith in the fact that the body knows exactly what to do to heal itself. We just have to use it because putting that stretch on those tissues on the skin that was all puckered up and, and was kind of tight, putting tension on it, even though that felt uncomfortable, was the stimulus needed to stretch out that skin and allow exactly. you to get range back. So it's like counterintuitive sometimes you got to go in and you never want to say oh you got to go through pain you got to no pain no gain 
that doesn't always hold true. It's a way too simplified version of it, but there is a degree of working through discomfort with a joint that is stiffened up and requires that stimulus to start to move again. So mm. it really is. That's that's really the the part where it's like having a guide. If you're not sure what to do, if you don't have a good awareness of your body and how much you should or shouldn't push, having a guide, which is just a like a, a movement coach, physical therapist, massage therapist, chiro, whatever you want to call it. Having a guide that helps you understand how much you should and shouldn't be pushing through that and helps you yeah. maybe push through some uncomfortable stuff initially, that needs to be done. But then the, re- the, the, the bigger take home is guiding you on how much you should be pushing through that at home and day to day, every single day, every hour, whatever it is. That's the powerful part that I think we're missing out on because a lot of the rehab world is just, oh, that hurts. Okay, I'll help it not hurt as much for an hour. And then you go back and it still hurts and, and you haven't actually addressed why it hurts or how to get that range back. And um I think a big part of that is just a lot of people aren't movers. A lot of people haven't gone through a lot of, you know, physio school filters through the smartest people, right? The average is so high to get in that a lot of times it's not the people that are good communicators, not the people that are active and playing sports and and doing outdoor activities that are getting into these programs. It's people that are reading from books and books will tell you all day long, oh, do this, do banded rotary cuff exercises for shoulder injury. They're not... You gain through experience of just, oh, when I held the kettlebell, I put myself in this good position. Or when I moved the joint through pain, I started to get that back. And you almost learn with your own body how hard you should and shouldn't push. And you can apply that to other people. But a lot of times, if you haven't gone through those things, you don't get the education by just doing it. Very true. It's like, what's your relationship with pain in the past? And your past relationships with pain and injuries and all these things really help guide you because mm-hmm. you had to deal with it yourself. With yourself and with your patients. With yourself and with your patients. So so maybe a good place to go next is uh, why don't we talk about the neck and then we'll finish off by talking about breath because I think breath ties into both shoulder and neck and mm-hmm. just this whole positioning issue that so many people seem to be facing. So yeah, the, the neck is a bad one. And I think it's I think it's something where people assume, okay, so number one, people assume the older you are, the more, like, it's almost like, oh, when I hit 60, I'm going to have neck problems. Or when I hit 70, I'm going to have neck problems. Like, well, it's not, your body wasn't adapted to develop neck pain or neck stiffness at a certain age. Mm-hmm. We need to use our necks. We don't use our neck. We talked about this before we even started. It's like, we don't use our necks anymore. We look straight. We shoulder check. And that's pretty much the limitation of how much we use our neck. Whereas when you go to Lustville, you're looking at everything. You're looking up. You're looking left, right, tilting your head. You're trying to look behind you to talk to the person that's on the trail behind you. Make sure they haven't fallen down a cliff. You know, like very dynamic. Like one of the best it. ways to mobilize your neck is go on a hike. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that what happens is that so the neck is really there to orient our our head. And then we talked about this before too. Is humans are very visual. So vision is one of our primary senses. Which we're now losing. Yeah. And, and it, so our head, basically, a big part of our, our neck is to orient this vision, orient our head towards where we want to look. So if you just naturally look at somebody, like if you see a plane in the sky and you want to look up, obviously your neck has to do this unique positional change. The neck's very dynamic and unique. It can rotate, it can side bend, flex, extend, yeah. and it can combine all these movements in a dynamic way. I think people lose the ability to just kind of articulate this neck. And a lot of it is because, yeah, like you say, we're not naturally exploring all these ranges. And we can talk about how the T-spine below that also affects that. But it it is what it is. If we're looking at one spot for long periods of time all the time because we're focused on one object on our computer screen or whatever, 
that's time spent, not spent looking around, using your neck, mobilizing it. And I know when I work on the computer for a couple hours, it's like, you know, every, every half an hour, I just need to like, it feels like I just need to like look around the room. Yeah. I need also need to look at different things. I need to focus my vision on different things. It feels like my eyes are getting stuck. Yeah. And there's muscles in the eyes that are affected by this too. And if you're all just focused on these very narrow range um, things on like images on your computer screen, you're not really exploring these muscles and the, the, the fact that they change your your lens shape and adapt for you to focus on different objects in the environment. So again, for, for neck sake, but also vision sake, like going for a hike through the forest, it gets you focusing on all these different things, leaves, uh, animals, the, the sound you heard in the forest, yeah. plane in the sky, all it these tunes things. Your senses. And I think, you know, when I go on a hike, just like when we go on a hike in Lustville, you wear a pair of minimal shoes, you wear a pair of vibrams. I literally look for like sharp pointy rocks to like step on and massage my foot. And I've almost started to do, you know, ever since reading the story of the human body by Daniel Lieberman, and he talks about how vision, you know, your ability to focus in on things is a reflection of your eye muscles that um, essentially flex and, and bend your the, the lens of your eye. Mm-hmm. And it's a muscle like any other muscle. If you don't work a muscle, it gets weak. If you work a muscle only in one range, it gets good at that range, but it loses the other ones. If all you're doing is looking at things that are very close, like a computer screen or a cell phone screen, and you're not looking at things far away, you will lose the ability to focus on things far away. And I kind of did this experiment on myself. I used to have glasses for when we were in university, big lecture halls, I'd need them. And instead of you know, constantly wearing them, I was like, I'm going to try and not wear these as much as I can. And now the only time I ever use them is to drive at night. I no longer have to use them. And when we go to Lustville, I, I really made a habit or, or, or anywhere really, on, especially on a hike, try and focus and try and look at things that are far away and try and basically look and, and, and put my vision gaze at something without always rotating my shoulders. So like literally force my neck to go into these weird positions that I might not ever get into. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember I had a patient once and she was like, yeah, my neck's really starting to hurt. And I checked out her range. I'm like, wow, your neck hardly moves at all. And she's like, yeah, it started to hurt when I would, you know, she was, I kind of just pictured her at her desk. And she's like, when someone called me, and my neck started to hurt when I would rotate and look at them. So instead, I just swiveled my chair to look at them. So she's basically in neutral, like a robot the whole time, never using her neck because her swivel chair can orient her gaze. So the chair literally took on the job of her neck and her neck just basically slowly stopped being able to move. Mm-hmm. And then she was stuck. And then she's like, every time I shoulder check, now she can't even shoulder check. Like when she's driving because she never, that's the only time she's ever rotated her head in that direction. And so it's like same thing with the shoulder. If something hurts, people just tend to immediately gravitate away from it. And that's Mm -hmm. the opposite of what we need to do. That's a signal to say you're not using that range often enough and you're losing it. You better work on reobtaining that range by putting yourself there in in a safe, obviously don't ram your neck through pain. But, you know, I think the position we hold ourselves in, just like the shoulders come forward, the chin pokes forward. And when your chin pokes forward, it closes down a lot of these joints in your neck. And so if your head is in a bad spot, you know, if your head weighs, the average human head weighs 10 pounds. For every inch forward it is from this plumb neutral position, it's 10 more pounds. So if you're walking around with what should be a 10-pound head, but it's now a 30-pound head because your chin's jutting out, you know, a kilometer because that's where you sit when you're at your computer, whether it's to focus in more or whether it's just a positional thing, obviously your neck's not going to be able to move if all your joints are collapsed down because your head's way forward. So it comes it, back to like, if you put a weight on your head, could you, where would you hold it? Yeah. It's like, if I put a weight in your shoulder, where would you hold your, yep. where would you hold exactly. it? Um, so position does, does matter. And then maintaining mobility and movement through the, through the spine matters a lot too. Um, and I think that's just, your neck's almost as like dynamic, stable slinky, right? Cause it can, it can like 
look up, down, all around. It can twist, it can bend. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people lose that. So, so I think just big thing with the neck, big take home is like I think looking downstream, making sure that whole that whole spine, including that thoracic spine, spine so is moving well, rotating well. Because a lot of this rotation, the T spine helps out with, and you get this like combined motion of the entire spine working as a unit so when you take away some sections of the spine that aren't moving as well as they should or they've gotten stiff you've lost the mobility and movement capacity in them you're going to really cause other areas of the spine to have to to rotate or extend or whatever more so i think we see the same thing that we talked about in the in the back episode is that if you've got stiffness up and down stream of an area this whole concept of regional interdependence plays true you're going to have to move where you know, above the stiffness or below the stiffness, right? So you want to just get that motion back in the the T-spine really, really big. And then introduce that, like we were talking about, that natural movement of the spine following your vision, maintaining the ability to look around the room, look up, down, all that stuff too. But I think that's a good time to transition into like the the breathing. Well, one last thing I want to talk about, because this is something we both had problems with, Mm -hmm. you know, in the past um, and have basically just essentially hacked it and found out how to prevent is headaches. You and me used to get debilitating headaches, right? And it was the kind of thing where, like, I think we were both in the same situation, you know, before we knew how to deal with these things or prevent them or or basically deal with them before they escalated, we would essentially, I would start to get a headache and you almost know the feeling. It's like, okay, I feel it deep in the back of my head, my eyes. It's almost like something behind your eyes is like, Mm. is creating a problem. You know the feeling, you know this kind of like, you know, um, aura that you get beforehand. You're like, shit, I'm about to get a migraine. I need to shut her down. I need to basically lie down. I'm probably going to puke. This is going to suck, but it's going to last for X amount of hours. I need to sleep it off and then I'll be fine. And, and I think once I realized that the tension in the, and it was kind of, it's always seems to be this like perfect storm. It's like, okay, my neck tension hasn't changed a huge amount, but it's been there and it's been kind of just sitting there for a while. Then all it takes is a couple nights of shitty sleep, an added layer of stress, right? I think that's the big thing. And then it's the perfect storm. When I, when I'm in I'll still occasionally get headaches, but it's always a, it's is tension related. When I say tension, I mean physical tension, but I also mean like just just overall tension, like uh, stress, emotional tension, all this tension. It's almost just like acute overthinking that can bring it on too. So, but it, that again manifests in the body as there's tension. Mm-hmm. So whenever I'm 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 in that situation. I'll, again, looking at the headache and looking, what did I learn from that? What was the conditions like we talked about in the yeah. habit episode? Finding the trigger. What were the conditions before that headache happened? Yeah. Oh, I'm seeing a pattern here. It's mm-hmm. always when I'm stressed. It's always when I'm carrying tension. It's always when I'm doing a lot of work and holding these positions and I'm feeling stiff and all these things kind of combine to produce that. And when you start addressing these things, then you can really stave them off. So, so it's really listening to what is the headache telling me, but also looking at like, you know, what are contributors to my headache? Is it always when I'm sitting in these positions? Is it always when I'm, I've got a, you know, a huge stack of work piled up that I'm really stressed in that part of the year? Um, is it because of like, I'm having problems in other areas of my life and it's creating this emotional tension. So mm-hmm. all of these things can be drivers of, and sometimes there's other things like caffeine and stuff like that. Yeah. But again, I would argue it's the, like a lot of it is this like physical manifestation. If I touch the muscles uh, in the inside of my eyes or, or in my jaw, I feel the, my temples and all these, these muscles, everything's just locked. Everything down. is locked in and it just like, yeah. and I'll often like rub 
and just like massage out like my my temples, my eyes, mm-hmm. my jaw, my suboccipitals, and the in the neck, all of these facial muscles. And you can tell it's like you're you're in that you know it's you're in that like tense phase. You're yeah. holding tension in your face and your eyes and yeah. everything. And people don't even realize it. And for me, the suboccipital tension and you know suboccipitals are basically if you follow your skull, you know the roundedness of your skull at the back. You got these two little pockets underneath the base of your skull of these muscles and when you can start to get tension there for me so the last couple of times i've had that feeling where it's like okay i feel something's coming on i would basically just stop whatever i was doing it didn't really matter what it was and i would just get in there and do some deep tissue work you know i like to do one where i like push and then flex and you can almost feel like these pops and cracks where all these these c-spine joints are kind of like opening up and splaying open or i take a lacrosse ball and just roll my head back and forth with tolerable pressure and what i found was number one they're insanely tender when i'm getting this kind of presentation coming on but number two I found that if I stay on top of it, I haven't had a migraine for a long time. Mm-hmm. If you, know, you catch it early. If you catch it early. If you catch it early and you're also doing some just maintenance to make sure, okay, I just spent, you know, five hours on a flight and I was on a computer before that. Oh, geez, those muscles are really tight. And I'll just kind of dig in there before a headache. And what I found is like, I don't really get these things anymore. Whereas I used to get them very predictably, like once a month you would, or once every couple of months. And now I, it's rare. I don't get them as nearly as much, but... I still will occasionally get them. And one of my theories behind it, again, this is just not something I, t- I tell people necessarily, but it's like for me, a migraine or a headache is your body's way of like shutting your system down. Yeah. It's basically like it's like the flu. You're revving too high. Yeah. You need to, we're going to shut you down. Like you're almost getting a brain ache. Like it's just like, stop. Yeah. And then it's like, you can't, and then it's to the point where you physically can't do anything. When you have a migraine, you can't even, you can't read, like you can't look at things. You you can only just, you need a dark place. You need to, to lay down. It's like your, a governor. It's like a yeah. safety mechanism where your brain's like, okay, you're redlining. And before your engine explodes, I'm going to shut everything down. It's mm-hmm. like this fail safe. And, and it's, if you look at it from that perspective, instead of, oh my gosh, I have no control over this, or I don't know why this is happening. It's a completely different way of thinking about what's happening to your body. Number one, you feel more in control of it when you understand why it's happening. When you look at the triggers, it's like, oh shit, this is going to make me address the things that I wasn't addressing, but I know are happening. It's like this thing at work is stressing me out, or this relationship problem is happening or whatever. And the migraine is almost like a red flag to say, deal with this shit right now. Mm. I'm shutting you down right now. It's going to give you time or to think just about like it. Rest. It's like yeah. you need to. We're going to shut your system off. You need to sleep it off, and then you'll feel better after. But then it's like listen, listen to that. Yeah. So, so anyway, I just want to talk touch on that because I think more and more it seems like this regular. You know, people might not come out right and say it, but once you dig in in terms of like a subjective of the patients, they're like, yeah, I also get headaches. I have. Yeah. I had a lady that's like every single day I've had a headache, and this has gone on for the past six months. I'm like. In my brain, I'm like, Jesus, I've had you people never thought who, this was a problem? Like, I've on. had people like that too. And I've had people like that who will say when they'll go away on vacation and they'll say, oh, it was great. I didn't get the headaches on vacation. <laughs> and then when I got back, it's okay. So what's going on? Yeah. Again, it's like I have a headache every day, but you go away for a week and you don't have it. What changed? Yeah. So we got to look at these things. You got to delve into the people's lives a little bit and figure out what are some potential causes. Okay. Let's talk about, let's finish off with talking about breathing. And I think this is one where. Like I wish when someone started to, and I always give the, I've started to give this analogy more and more in seminars. It's like the human body is extremely adaptable. So if you think of it like a river that's flowing really, really fast, like an aggressive river, and you take a huge um, stone and you plop it right in the middle of the river, the river doesn't stop flowing. It just goes around the rock. And, you know, an example of that is like, okay, if your hip stops moving because your hip is stiff, you're still going to walk and run and probably do all your sports until literally you're unable to. Your body just adapts and goes around it. And I think breathing is one of these things where we have to breathe. 
We have to breathe every day. We have to breathe every minute. It's required. If you stop breathing, you're dead. And so you can all of a sudden start to breathe in this very, very strange way that humans are not designed to ventilate in without ever getting feedback about the fact that you're breathing strangely. And oftentimes when you do get the feedback, it it it's not a you're breathing wrong signal. It's, oh, my neck hurts or, oh, this hurts or, oh, this hurts. But it never it never has a direct connect. People never make the direct connection with how I'm breathing might be affecting how body part X is working and it's getting overloaded or this like go up to anyone and squeeze their traps. It's like no one likes that. Why? Mm. Because we almost all get in this habit of breathing using our neck and shoulder muscles instead of using our diaphragm. Yeah, so this accessory breathing, I think is a big and I think we should probably delve into that on another episode too, yeah. fully on breathing. But superficially, let's talk about if, breath. If, yeah, I think that's a big contributor. Something I always look at, especially with these people with neck tension, neck pain, shoulder headaches, pain. shoulder pain, any upper body type of type of issue. We'll look at okay, well, how are you breathing? Just at a baseline, we'll often find that they are using this accessory breathing pattern. What that means is they're using these these upper chest and neck muscles, the traps, things that elevate the rib cage and expand this upper rib cage, and this diaphragm below the diaphragm like lines the inside of the rib cage below and it actually when you contract it it pulls down right like a like an inside it's almost like a this this inner 360 degree circular muscle when you contract it it goes down so it draws air in through ideally the nose when you do that so if you're not using that or if you can't use that based on the positions you're in or if it's harder to use that during the based on the positions you're in you're gonna have to be use this neck a lot more mm-hmm. problem is Breathing quickly becomes a habit. So if you're used to driving breath in from your upper body and you're just doing that thousands and thousands of times, it's going to get really ingrained. So breathing becomes this thing where it's really hard for people sometimes to... It took me two years to get... To, to change my breathing habits. Yeah. It honestly did, looking oh. back. <laughs> yeah. And to, to where I'm like confident that like now I know at rest, I'm nasal breathing, I'm calm, I'm using a diaphragmatic th- pattern. And you still think about it. I'm, I'm sure. still you, nowhere every- near where I should be, but... For me, I was terrible. And that actually looking back was, I'm like, how long was I like that? And I think that was probably one of the contributors to my headaches. Yeah. I was feeding into that. that stress, feeding into, and it's like the emotional system can drive your breath. So somebody, you're in fear, you're going to breathe very shallow. Yeah. But the breath can also drive the emotional yeah, system. Bidirectional. So if you're if you're always breathing in this shallow stress pattern, it can also produce this stress in your life too. So good. That's why like classic breath has been used for for thousands of years too in yoga and different practices mm-hmm. to help calm people down, right? And it's always this diaphragmatic breathing. It's always using your your actual breathing muscles to breathe, calming this these neck patterns down. So I think it's just the fact that it feeds into this tension is a big thing, and the fact that people aren't using this important diaphragmatic muscles that's also almost like a core muscle of the body and helps stabilize that that lumbopelvic region as well mm-hmm. um it's kind of a perfect storm for this neck tension and feeds into these neck problems we're not saying it's the only thing but it's a big contributor sometimes yeah and i think you made a good point i think it is better to just um you know the basics of breath is that if you're the same presentation of shoulders forward hunched over right? Quasimodo style, chin forward, that whole positional presentation that people often adopt for long periods of time is a massive contributor to basically compressing and crushing your midsection, <laughs> your your stomach area, where your diaphragm needs to be able to, um, in order for it to function, your, your gut area has to be able to expand. If you're compressing it, it can't expand. Your secondary strategy is use the muscles that connect your ribs or um, your neck rather and your shoulder girdle to lift your torso up and down instead of breathing horizontally. So 
So I think that's the biggest take home we want to talk about breath and probably best to, you know, I, I need to learn a lot more about breathing, right? The Oxygen Advantage was a good book. I want to look into other books and I think it would be good to just put together a really nice crisp hour of just breath of breathing. And I think um, it's still for me, of a, a, more of an abstract area, right? It's hard. It's hard to talk about breath with patients. Do you find that? It can I find be. that way less now, but but it's still, you know, I can I can talk to a patient about feet and what we need to do to not mess our feet up and 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 get it to a point where they can understand. But breath is still this disconnect where people seem to just. I don't think I'm explaining it well enough. So I think I want to learn more about it. And uh, you're you're probably way better versed on breath than me. So let's let's kick this down the road and, and we will do a podcast on breath. We'll do a full podcast on it and hopefully it'll really demystify and make things less abstract for people and also mm. give people, you know, hopefully by then we can record some, um, some content and put it on the optimized auto website and, and be able to have resources to send people to so that it's like, okay, you can listen to this, but then you can also watch these videos and there's a little bit more, um, there's more content and, and just watching a video and explaining and showing something is more powerful than just listening to the audio. So um, stay tuned for that down the road. I think a good thing to do is just wrap everything up. So we talked about the shoulder. We talked about the neck. We talked about breath. I think a really common theme growing through all this is a couple things. Number one, your positioning matters, mm-hmm. right? Like where you hold your body, where you position yourself for the biggest periods of time during the day has a huge effect on how the joints work on how your mobility uh on how much mobility you're able to express i think another big one is use it or lose it yeah right like use your shoulder mobility express all these different positions at the shoulder if you are unable to then work towards it change positions explore different positions yeah these are the big things so so getting out of these these positions it's on a regular basis just like that's what you do with your body. When you when you feel a little antsy in one position, change it. Mm-hmm. When you get a little sore in one position, change it. Yeah. So listen to these little signs because it doesn't always have to be acute pain. It's like you can just feel like, like I said, antsy or stiff or tense, tight. Yeah. tight. It's like move. Just move it. Move position. So same thing with the neck. Your neck is supposed to move a huge amount. And, you know, big contributors for both the shoulder and the neck are your thoracic spine, your upper back area. Right. Like we need to get people in the routine. This should be something taught basically in high school is if you sit or if you spend a lot of time with your arms in front of you, you're going to have the tendency to kind of hunch forward over time, over long periods of time. You need to be doing something on a daily basis to offset that. And one really, really good one is just taking a foam roll and rolling out your upper back, right? Getting those joints moving, articulating those joints, going into extension, going into positions that are hard to get into if you're just sitting and and you want to actively do it, right? Sometimes there's literally hardware restrictions where those joints have locked up and stiffened up because that's where you spend all your time and you have to get into some sort of you know use some sort of tool to really help restore that hardware mobility so that you can actually consciously put yourself in these in these better positions during the day so Mm -hmm. i think that carries over to everything and and like you talked about the t-spine connects into your ribs so if your t-spine is stiff and stuck in this hunched position your ribs are not going to be able to move and your ribs need to be able to articulate to create this kind of movement that allows your diaphragm that allows your gut to expand right and if you're stiff there you're all the you're going to be all the more likely to use this apical this upper neck muscle breathing pattern so and then I, just look around that's one of the big look concepts around. for you. Yeah. look around the room look up look, down, right? look at different things with your eyes look with your head look with your neck yep go for walks look around exactly so anyway we hope you guys benefited from just hopefully that simplifies things we tried to avoid getting too um you know deep in terms of the biomechanics and the complicated terms but just in general you know carry stuff hang crawl look 
everywhere, make your neck move in all these different positions, spend time outdoors, um, and mobilize your T-spine. And I think those things, you know, those pieces are, are so huge to just the prevention and the maintenance side of things so that you don't get to the point where your neck gets jacked up or to where your shoulders stopped moving and it's frozen and stuck in a position. So anyway, we'll catch you next week. Hope you, hope you enjoyed that one.